Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, uh, joined by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. I literally don't think we've spoken all week. Kirk was home this week doing, uh, helping the girls with school, doing the work from home. And I was at work this week doing uh, just crazy busy. So things are busy, but uh, so anyway, great to be here with you. Even though we don't have a guest, we've, we're managing. And um, I actually like this show so far. I love this topic. I think <laughs> this is very important uh, lately. People certainly are interested in this information. I um, um, Can I just, I had, you know, while I was, I pulled up, um, you know, I pulled up that JP Morgan, you know, they had that guide to the markets, um, yeah. you know, that they put out every year and, uh, they have a, you know, their most recent update was just, it was just updated. Um, and you know, I love that, uh, the intramarket declines, you know, versus, um, you know, oh, yeah. annual returns. I just wanted to uh, go over a couple of years real quick on that one. I just, I always think yeah. that that one's interesting. So basically it's, um, so JP Morgan puts out this, um, chart and, so basically the title is annual returns and intra-year declines. And so it's it's the S&P 500 uh, intra-year declines versus calendar year returns. And, yeah, that's a good one. And, so, and, then the, and then the subtitle is, you know, despite average intra-year drops of 13.8%, annual returns positive in 30 of 40 years. All right. So this, mm. char so this chart, basically it's, it starts in 1980 and goes through, um, you know, year to date 2020. And, you know, so for starters, you know, we'll start with, you know, 2020 is a great example, right? So this year has been a, you know, a crazy year, very volatile, uh, you know, big drop uh, earlier in the year. And so what the chart shows is that, um, you know, at some point, at some point in the year 2020, the S&P 500 was down uh, as much as 34%, you know, from, so from, from, yeah. the, from wherever the top was, you know, it, it dropped as far as 34%. But year to date, now this is as of, uh, I believe this is as of September 30th. Probably the 30th. Yes. Yeah. So, so as of September 30th, uh, the S&P 500 actually posted a, has had, actually had Six. a 4% four, a 4 positive return. Yeah. So, so even though it was down as much as 34%, yeah. It's actually it's actually performed a plus four uh, year to date, and I love that chart. I think that chart is really cool. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So that's you know, so that's just one you know one good example. So 
basically, if you look back over this, you know, this forty-year uh, period of time. All, uh, I think every every year ha- has a point in time, uh, with the exception of one, every year was negative at some point um, mm. dur- during the year. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that's o- interesting. There was only one year that, that was basically, it, it, was, it, uh, it was zero, basically. Interesting. Um, every other year has a negative, you know, and there was a, like, uh, let's see, like, uh, Another kind of extreme example was like maybe, I think it's 1987, you know, it was down as much as 34% uh, at some point during the year, but over the, over the whole year, it actually earned 2%. Um, you know, another example, let's yeah. see, uh, what's another good one? Uh, 2009, right? So this is back, this is part, part of the recovery uh, from the last financial crisis. So at some point it was down 28%. But it actually earned twenty three percent for the year. Wow! Um, yeah. And 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 there are and there are other you know good examples throughout. I mean, and obviously there are some you know some examples where it was negative and and, and finished negative for the year. But that's but those are kind of the those are the anomalies. Um, in most cases, uh, it, as it said, you know, th- thirty of the forty years posted a positive return, uh, even though. Every year, with the exception of one, uh, was negative at some point. Um, yeah, I like that chart. I use that a lot. I, I use that every time I bring on a new client. We do some, you know, market. We have some market-related discussions and investor education. I always pull out that chart. I think it's really, really, really good perspective. There's a lot of scary numbers on that chart, and a chart, excuse me. And as you said, a lot of years where even despite the scary numbers mid-year, we had positive returning markets year to date uh, for the calendar year. So yeah, that's awesome. I love that chart. That's I didn't realize JP Morgan put that one out. They do a lot of good research pieces. Um, can we get into some, I just have some kind of fun, just spend five or 10 minutes on um, election related stuff, just because I yep. think people are interested in that these days. Are you all done with that chart? Yes. So um, again, there's a lot of articles out there now regarding what the markets have historically done during uh, political election years. Um, it's just kind of interesting. I, this particular information that I'm gonna uh, go through now is from uh, one of the research firms that we subscribe to. They're called Lippman Gregory. Um, they put out research for advisors. And so they put out a piece where it's, they, they have this in graphical format. So it's hard. It's, it's uh, easier understood in graphical format, of course, but I'll just pull like the big points. So what they did was they examined um, average daily data um, of the Dow Jones, which is another proxy for the U.S. market. You hear about the Dow Jones on the uh, news more frequently. It's a bigger number. It's more newsworthy. Um, we don't talk about it as much as it's not as it's not uh, as broad a representation of the large U.S. market as the S&P. The Dow Jones only has 30 companies and the S&P has 500. So it's just different proxy, but but uh, the Dow is certainly 30 uh, important companies to measure the U.S. market uh, on. Anyway, this information is the performance of the Dow in election years and then also in post-election years under certain scenarios. So, they, so they're plotting average market performance in election years in the four different scenarios, one being if the incumbent Democratic Party wins, the other if the incumbent Democratic Party loses, and then if the incumbent Republican Party wins or the incumbent Republican Party loses. So obviously the only scenario that wouldn't... Uh, uh, so obviously we wouldn't have the incumbent Democratic Party scenario uh, this this year, but interesting information anyway. So, so b- the big picture data that we pull from here is that actually in the scenario where all throughout history, uh, when incumbent Republican parties have won the election, the market uh, generally from like early November through end of the calendar year has historically done incredibly well. Uh, really great numbers there if the incumbent Republican Party wins at least all throughout history. Certainly we can't guarantee future performance, of course. Um, in in uh, years when the incumbent Republican Party loses, we have some pretty poor market uh, performance uh, toward the end of that calendar year in that election year. So I guess one of those two scenarios uh, this election year. So. Um, the Republican Party winning historically has been great for the markets. Uh, incumbent Republican Party losing has not. And, and, and actually, I wish I wish 
people could see this chart, but um, the, the uh, if you think about um, like the letter, uh, think about like a V and you turn it to the side. So it's like, you know, the, uh, the greater than sign. No, sorry, the less than sign, right? If you think about a less than sign, like a sideways V, uh, that it's pretty this this be in terms of market performance if the incumbent Republican Party wins being really steep and market performance if the incumbent Republican Party loses being fairly steep on the other end. So that's a pretty wide less than sign if you if you know what I mean. Um, <clears throat> Interestingly enough, obviously we don't have an incumbent Democratic Party, but interestingly enough, it's it's similar data, but not as exaggerated. So historically, if an incumbent Democratic Party wins, markets do pretty well, though not as well as if an incumbent Republican Party wins. If historically, if incumbent Democratic parties lose, markets have done fairly, actually been kind of flat, like not really poor, but just kind of flat for the rest of that election year. So, so again, if you think about that less than sign with incumbent Democratic parties, yeah, we have good performance if they win, but it's like a, uh, what is that, like a skinnier or a tighter uh, V, less than the sideways V or less than sign, you know what I mean, where it's more dramatic uh, it, when we have the incumbent Republican Party, which I just think is interesting. Of, of course, this is, you know, every election is different, right? The circumstances surrounding it and the candidates and everything. Um, you know, this we, we have our election year this year coupled with a global pandemic, so certainly that's different, but it's always different, right? So, of course, we can't, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that will happen this year, but I think it's just interesting to per, to to uh, look at. And then uh, just one step beyond that is uh, this research partner, Litman Gregory here, they pulled, uh, again, performance of the Dow Jones in post-election years. So the year following the presidential election. Um, so again, they have those four data points where, you know, Republican incumbent Democratic wins or loses or incumbent Republican Party wins or loses. Um, so four lines and then they like they show an average line too. Um, so just so again, in post election years, historically speaking, if we have an incumbent Republican Party that wins, markets are pretty good. Uh, like historically been like kind of flat in a few months of that post election year and then like great the, the second half of the year. Um, in election years actually where we have an, the incumbent Republican Party lose, Historically speaking, the second half of that post-election year is actually better than if the incumbent Republican Party wins. So it's kind of interesting. Again, it's way cooler if you can uh, if you see the visual. But in in the situation where incumbent incumbent Republican Party loses, historically we've had like a bad start to the the, the post-election year, but a great recovery uh, on the tail end of that year post-election. My you know my my take on that, and this is you know just a. A, a guess um, is that, you know, when people see, you know, a Democratic president come in for the first time, you know, they're worried, right? They're worried about, uh, you know, taxes, you know, perhaps going up. I think that's, you know, just because that's a typical thing with, you know, with, with Democratic presidents and, and, and this, what this particular one coming up is no different. And I think people are worried about, you know, what may happen and that, that it's going to have a negative impact on the economy and or their own personal finances. And so maybe, you know, maybe there's some, some, a little bit of a sell-off in the market, right? Because they're nervous about what might happen with this new president. And so that's why, yeah. I think that's why you see the markets go down perhaps. And then, you know, the next year, once they realize, well, their fears were unfounded, perhaps, then then people start getting back into the market and the market goes up. And I think that's prob yeah. probably what has happened. And that's why it is what, it, you know, and I, 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 there's, I don't think there's any, people are always nervous about the worst. They fear the worst case scenario. And so they think, bad things are going to happen and they, and they get out of the market and then they and then as time goes on they realize oh okay it's not as bad as i thought and then they get back in and the market goes up yeah perhaps so yeah and what i don't have on this chart which would actually be kind of interesting is like you know historically you know on those four scenarios well who is congress controlled by like, yeah you know i don't have that in my brain in terms of for which republican or democratic parties did we have a majority in congress for which party right i mean that would be pertinent information i think but <laughs> it's kind I, well, of hard to plot there'd be a lot of lines going I, on i have a um, i have another but yeah, i certainly think there's uh, there's some jitters surrounding you know biden's already released some tax some some proposed changes to the tax code um you know raising taxes for you know wealthier individuals raising taxes for businesses which is not very potentially not very market friendly um are you waving at me <laughs> i was trying to get your attention i just I, well, whenever you're done 
ranting. I had yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I just have it. I'm, I'm all done with that. I think that chart was really cool. I just said there's a couple more election uh, related things I have. So are you ready to move on from this topic? And if so, I no. have a couple more things no, to I, talk about. No, I had that. more election stuff. What? More election stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. And I don't, may, and this might be some of what you have, but um, I had a Kiplinger. Um, so this, yeah. is, this is from a Kiplinger um, report or, or article. Um, and, you know, so this one's about, you know, Democrat versus Republican. And it basically, so this one, let's see, their research goes back to 1900. So it says, looking back to 1900, uh, Democrats have been slightly better for stocks with the Dow with the Dow up an average of nearly 9% annually when the Democrats are in control compared mm-hmm. compared with nearly 6% per year during Republican administrations. Um, yeah. so so you know going back, you know 120 years, um, the, the market uh, or the Dow uh, on average has done better uh, by about three percentage points uh, with uh, Democrats uh, in in the White House. Isn't uh, that interesting? It's a little bit counterintuitive, I th- I think, because well, because of tax policy, I think, and, and business friendliness potentially. But yeah, yeah, but I, I had some similar data. But go ahead, are you? Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. I mean, most I think yeah. most most people think that you know with a Republican that's you know going to be more you know business friendly and you know therefore uh, you know better better for the economy, um, but. But for whatever reason, that that it hasn't really translated uh, to the market uh, reacting as such. So yeah, that is interesting. That surprised me too. So we put out a um, we put out like we try to get out on like a monthly just communication to our clients. We try to do it more frequently when markets are volatile. Hey, you know this is what's going on. We're here. Call us. Perspective, etc. Stuff like that. But um, my my dad actually did some research and put out a piece to our clients just a few weeks ago now, and he pulled some of that same uh, data that you. Were just referencing he went back to 1961 um and he crunched some same numbers so i'm just going to go through this real quick uh this is what we sent out to clients but so from 1961 there have been 15 presidential election years um the average market return for all of those years this goes back to 1961 for the election years is 6.67%. The average return for non-election years is 8.21%. So that su- supports the statement that, yeah, we, we generally see some volatility in election years. Historically, dating back about 60 years, those election year, the return of those election years as measured by the S&P has not been uh, as strong. It's certainly not like negative on average, but you know, six and a half percent versus over eight percent. Um, he he went on to crunch some numbers regarding dollars invested. So, if you invested ten thousand dollars in the stock market and you only had your money in during Republican presidential term, so like you were in and then you got out for the Democrats and then got in for the Republicans. <laughs> like, oh, and I don't know if anybody has ever done that, but I guess potentially. So if if you had ten thousand dollars dating back to sixty one and you only had your money in the market during Republican years, it grew to be eighty six thousand four hundred dollars in that sixty one year period of time, roughly half of which you were invested, right? If you did the same thing going back to 1961 and you invested that same seven, excuse me, $10,000 and you only had it in the markets during Democratic uh, president terms, that Ten thousand grew to three hundred and seventy-six thousand. So yeah, supporting the statement that actually going back throughout history, uh, markets have actually performed better on average under Democratic presidents. Um, but then, but then, of course, if you just left your money in the markets for all of those years, in other words, you weren't just in for the Democrats or you weren't just in for the Republicans, which of course is a little bit of a ridiculous statement, but the numbers are kind of cool. Um, if you had that 10,000 invested back in 1961 and you just left it alone through present, that would be $3,248,000. Isn't that crazy? Not too in the, S- in the S&P 500. Um, that's crazy. I mean, 61 years is a very, is a very long time and $10,000, 60, uh, well, yeah, six, roughly 61, 60 years ago was, was a lot of money. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. And I, and yeah, actually it's interesting to go back and, 
Um, I just went back a little bit and looked at, you know, who it reminded myself who was president in all of these years going back to the 60s. And uh, interestingly enough, so remember we talked earlier in the show about how uh, we had some some pretty awful, a couple of awful bear markets, 2000 uh, to 2002, and then again, 07 to 09, we had the same president in office for much of that term, which was George W. Bush, because he was president uh, 2001 through 2009. So he was president during two of the worst markets that we've seen in the last couple of decades, coincidence or not. I mean, you know, I, I that that is your own opinion, but um, so so that Republican president. Uh, was in office and dra- he's dragging the numbers down for all the other Republicans because some of the other re- performance uh, for some of the other uh, president uh, Republican presidential terms is really good. I mean, despite this calendar year under our current Republican president, the markets have been really good. Um, I'm looking at a Forbes article now, but there have been some Republican presidents that sat through some really great markets. Um, uh, I think actually Reagan. Yeah, Reagan was one of them. Uh, some pretty good markets there. Uh, anyway, we don't need to go through all the specifics, but but um, you know, I think what what people should take from this conversation is that um, first of all, volatility is normal. The markets don't just go straight up forever. They go up. My you know when I early in my career, my dad explained the markets to me as uh, playing with a yo-yo going up an escalator. That, that think of that yo-yo and what that yo-yo is doing as you're playing with it and it's going up an escalator. That's what the markets do. Over long periods of time, historically, they've gone up. You get to the top of the escalator, but it's not just like you riding up an escalator. It's your yo-yo going up and down over long periods of time and getting up the escalator. So I think that's a great visual. Markets don't just go straight up. Volatility is completely normal. And if you are an investor, you need to be prepared for volatility, which is fluctuation in share price. It's not like it's not like being in the bank in the days when we had interest rates on cash, or excuse me, yield on cash. Um, you know that the, that number goes straight up, but 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 over time you won't grow your wealth because taxes and inflation and interest on cash has never really grown your wealth at all. Um, but volatility is normal and volatility in election years is normal. And yes, this year is different, but you know what? It's always different. There's never been a bear market that has been exactly the same as one throughout history. It's like, you know, we've seen this movie again. It's a li- before it's a little bit different this time, but we've seen this movie before. So um, I think after the break here, I know we just have a few minutes before the break, but I really want to talk about um I really want to talk about, you know, how people, I want to talk about being appropriately invested and re- and how I really believe that if you're appropriately invested for you and for your circumstances and your, and your cash needs from your portfolio, if you're invested appropriately, you should not have to worry about volatility and downward fluctuation that we are seeing in, in a few month period of time or even a year or two period of time. So I, I wanna get into that and I also wanna get into um, talking about um, about goal setting and your, you know, setting goals for your life and, and reevaluating that goals and, and what assumptions you're making when you set your goals into your plan because, um, you know, and, and potentially revisiting goals if, if the worst case scenario pans out and, um, you know, revisiting goals ongoing and how goal setting is just a one and done exercise. Kirk, you're going to have to take over and close it up because the yep. girls are not being quiet here in the background. Yep. I think we just have another minute left, right? Yep. The uh, the last thing I was going to say is about you know divided versus united government, um, and that's you know there's there's been you know talk about you know does that make a sense? Um, looking back to 1928, um, in the two years this is again from Kiplinger, the two years following election, Standard and Poor's 500 stock index gained 16.9 percent on average when one party controls the White House and both houses of Congress, 
15.6% when one party controls both houses of Congress and the other party owns the White House, and just 5.5% when the House and Senate are divided. Uh, you know, so it's very interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I think people think that if it's divided, that it, you know, not much will happen, and that, and that's potentially good for the markets. You know, kind of continuity and, and not a lot of changes. But uh, historically, that's not really proven out. Uh, so I think we're just about ready to take a break. Uh, this is Kirk Reed, uh, McNamara on Money, joined by my wife and business partner Alyssa McNamara Reed. Uh, we will be back in uh, just uh, just a few minutes. believe we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. And we have uh, another 30 minutes or so to just sort of tie things up regarding what we've been chatting about this morning. I think we titled our show Election Jitters. Uh, We've been talking about um, time in the markets versus timing the markets. We've talked about... um, gone through some historical data regarding uh, what the market has historically done in presidential election years. Um, So interesting stuff there. I I wanted to um, sort of finish up the show by by bringing it back to you and your goals and your plan and your uh, situation. Interestingly enough, I was listening to a webinar um, in the last couple weeks uh, from another um, fantastic uh, research provider that we rely on in our business. I was actually doing some continuing education, um, but I listened to a really interesting one on behavioral economics. And basically the discussion was, you know, how investors uh, uh, think and react and what they want and don't want um, in, in, when the markets are uh, uh, in the in, when if we're in the middle of a downturn or if the markets are doing poorly, so it was really interesting and it was kind of you know this was geared toward advisors and you know having discussions with your clients and things like that. Investors, and, and one thing, quote unquote. Um, what investors, quote unquote. Um, well, yeah, are, are I mean, you, you know, yeah, right. Right. We always say, you know, if you're going in and out of the market, you're not an investor, you're a speculator. But but even our clients who are long, you know, standing relationships with and, you know, like I said, I, I think that the inclination or the desire to time the swings in the market, I it's just human nature. There's not a person in the world who has money in the markets that hasn't had that thought at some point in time or hasn't thought. I wish I could do that, or I'm going to try to do that. It's just, I just think that's part of being a person and having, you know, that side of your brain or whatever. I don't know much about the sides of the brain, but you know, one of the, I pulled a couple of really important things from this webinar. Um, and, and I, there was actually some, you know, somebody who had a PhD in behavioral economics and things like that. There were some really smart people on this, um, you know, giving this information and, I pulled a couple things from it. Number one is that it's so important, and this I know, but but it's just to reiterate, it's so important for an investor or, or an advisor working with an investor to have these discussions about, let's talk about like a nervous investor, right? Someone, you know, maybe if we have more volatility this year, next year, whatever, whenever the next volatility of volatility will come, it'll always come. It's so important to have conversations about market volatility as it relates to you and your plan and your life. So it's important to, you know, of course, have these conversations about what markets have done historically and perspective and all that stuff about the markets themselves. But it's also really important to say, you know, have, you know, have discussions like, okay, well, you know, this is the plan we have for you. And these are the assumptions we made with regards to rates of return. And this is when we're anticipating you'll need money from your portfolio. So it's really important to like, again, have those discussions about, it's not just about the markets, it's about, okay, well, what is going on with you in your life? And and if you are that investor that doesn't, uh, you're not gonna be retiring for 10 or 15 years, that's a really important point because that's a lot of time um, from, you know, to recover from, that's a lot of time where you could recover, your portfolio could recover from any volatility we see in 2020 as a result of this presidential election or this, you know, health pandemic, even if the pandemic lasts another year or two or, 
forever, <laughs> but hopefully at some point, you know, sort of controlled if we have, you know, coronavirus forever, hopefully it's, you know, controlled and stuff like that, like the flu is. But um, so I, it, that's really important, number one. And, and I think the other point I took from that, which I also think is really important is that there, you know, when we have these discussions with clients about, you know, the, let's just use the example of a, a client who says, you know, the market's down 20% and I just, I want to get out. I want to go to cash. I want to stop my losses. It, you know, of course you and I know, and even that person probably knows that the right thing to do is to do nothing and write it out. Um, but sometimes that investor just needs, they need to do something, right? Even if it's not um, in their best that interest. drastic move of pulling my money out of the market when things are down and moving it to cash but they are going to feel better if we do something, even if it's a small something. And, you know, you, the investor and the advisor could work together to determine what that small something is. But there's like that component of just like your your Control. emotional well-being that really does need to be considered, even if the right advice is close your eyes, stop looking, turn off the radio, you know, and, and, and ride it out. And, you know, however many months or years from now, you'll be happy you did that. But they're there's just that emotional component that that person might just need to do something. Um, you, and, and of course, that's why you work with an advisor that helps you do that something that's not detrimental to your portfolio. Um, and so that's, you know, that's that's advice. It's uh, obviously that's something is tailored to that particular client. But um, I, I thought that was really interesting in that, in that behavioral economics um, webinar that I listened to. And I should actually sh let you listen to that, show you where that one is, Kirk. It was really, really good. Um, I mean, and you know what I loved about it is I could have my AirPods in yeah. and I could be doing it while I was in the kitchen cooking dinner. So it's like, you you know, I, I'm like the queen of multitasking, as you know, and that was, um, I, I love how information gathering these days is, is um, you know, I don't have to sit in front of the computer and read something. I could just take it all in while I was making dinner for the family. <laughs> Uh, Men, husbands don't think the same way as wives. I'm, I'm hundred percent sure of that. Uh, totally agree. Um, Agreed. Uh, no argument yeah, yeah, yeah. there. Um, you know, one, one thing I was going to say was, you know, as far as like a kind of a specific thing that I've, you know, had a conversation with, with, with a few clients is, you know, if, if not necessarily if they're nervous per se, but if, you know, if we're having a conversation about, well, you know, we might, you know, we might need some money, um, you know, in the next year or so. Well, at this point in time, you know, you, you know, we've had, a, you know, a so-so year, right? You know, so performance-wise this year, um, you know, depending on your portfolio, you might be a little, you know, you might be slightly positive, you might be flat, you know, kind of depends on, on what you have for, for a strategy. But um, if, like I said earlier in the, in the show, you know, if you go back 12 months, you know, you've probably, you've probably done pretty well, um, regardless yeah. of portfolio, you know, all stocks, balanced portfolio, whatever it is, you probably made, made a, a good chunk of money over the past 12 months. And so it's still, it's still probably a good time. You know, if you want to sell, you know, take some profits, you know, sell, you know, sell some shares, um, and stick that money in cash. And, you know, maybe that makes you feel better, you know, going into the election because you know, you've, you know, you've, you've, you've set aside some cash, uh, just in case, uh, or if you think you might need some money in the next year or so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a specific thing that you could do, um, you know, now, uh, I mean, that's not advice, you know, you know, to the listening audience, but, you know, depending on your situation, you know, that's something that's, that, that I've done with a couple people. And I think that that makes sense. Um, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. um, situation, uh, dependent. Um, and, you know, obviously the other thing is, you know, we have people that are taking money on a regular basis from their portfolio and, you know, for those folks, we always have, you know, we always have, you know, safe money or cash or something inside of their portfolio that, that they can draw off of, um, which will allow the rest of their portfolio to, you know, fluctuate with the markets because we know that that's inevitable. And, you know, so one of the conversations we've had with folks that have, you know, m maybe are nervous about the election or, or just nervous in general about the markets and uh, in, in the virus and all that is, okay, well, if normally, if normally we carry a year or two years worth of, worth of income, you know, set aside in something safe. Well, you know, we can always, we can stretch that out. And if you want to go to three years uh, or, or whatever it may be, you know, so we can buy you plenty of time, you know, to ride out these, you know, this market volatility. Um, and, you know, one of the things we always look at is, you know, historically speaking, you know, the average bear market has been about 18 months, you know, in duration. And, 
obviously they've been longer, but that's, you know, that's the average. So if we, you know, if we've got you covered for two years or, or even up to three years, if, if we go that far, I mean, you know, basically you can live off of that money and, and get through any bear market, um, you know, that we've seen or, or even probably, you know, longer than what we've seen and never have to sell, you know, any of your, you know, more, you know, more volatile investments, you know, during that time frame. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I had just had a conversation yesterday actually with the client. We were having a, you know, a similar conversation and she actually posed a really interesting question to me. The the end result is that we were we were having those conversations that you were just talking about there about, you know, buying the portfolio time. She had this she posed a really interesting question to me. You know, we always talk in our business about um, you know, the being a long-term investor and and we talk about, you know, the long, we, we use that term, the long term, a, a, a lot. And that's, you know, definition of that could vary, right? A long time could be five, 10, 12 years, whatever. Um, but I had a conversation with a woman who was in her late 60s and she, she called in, she, this particular person, um, is let's just call her financially secure and, um, but it invested moderate risk, you know, appropriate for her age, especially given her, uh, you know, very small draw from her portfolio. But she just, you know, she called up and she was just, we were talking about a couple of things and she was just kind of like expressing that, her, that she's a little bit worried, you know, she has these election jitters as, as we call it. And um, she just said, you know, I know that uh, we had recently put out this piece about being a long-term investor and not a speculator. And she was just kind of like, you know, I understand all that. And I understand that investing is, is a long-term, uh, I, I need another word than game. Investing is a long-term exercise. Proposition. Uh, and she said, you know, but in all honesty, am I, you know, I'm late sixties. Am I still a long-term investor? And I just thought that was a really, Great question. And um, I hadn't heard that one bef before, at least said in that same way or expressed in that way. And um, so we, you know, we continued to have, so I think her point was, you know, I'm within a couple of years of really needing to draw from my portfolio. You know, of course I know that her draw is projected to be fairly reasonable and I, and not, and I was not concerned about longevity of portfolio. <clears throat> but her question was, you know, I'm not in my 40s or 50s accumulating assets anymore. I am about to start my draw. And she didn't say, you know, I'm only going to live so many years. You know, we didn't get into that. Of course, you never know that. But I thought her question was really good and that she was really questioning, is that still me? Am I still a long-term investor? And I think that goes along with what you were just talking about because, you know, of course, for me, the answer was, Yes, of course you're still a long-term investor because if you live another 20 or 30 years, we need your portfolio to last that long. And and that's a long period of time. Of course, we never know when someone will pass, but um, your, your investment time horizon for at least a, a portion of your assets is your lifetime. In, ideally anyway, of course, that's the goal is to not have your assets, assets um, uh, shrink to zero before your life is over. So then we started having these conversations about um, free, you know, either, of course, we could reduce risk if she wanted to, but then, but what you were just talking about, about making sure we have sufficient cash in the portfolio so that your portfolio, your invested securities have a long enough period of time to weather any storms that the markets you know, will bring. So, um, and, and so we ended up freeing up, you know, some cash because she had some spending goals and just to give her like a little bit of a buffer. Um, and so then, you know, and I think it's, it's nice to think about it and sort of segregate those monies, even though the cash was still in the account where her invested securities were, I think it's nice to segregate in, an, in a, a retiree or pre-retiree's mind that, okay, I have my invested securities, and that's, those are my, yes, that's my long-term investment money, right? I, those, I'm a long-term investor because those monies need to last 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is. But then I have my cash money, which is, which allows, that's my accessible money. That's where I'll take my lump sum needs or my monthly needs or whatever. 
and that allows the rest of my money to have a longer time horizon. So I just thought that was a really interesting question that she brought up. Of course, I assured her that yes, for the bulk of your your monies, there is still a long time horizon. Even five, 10 years is, is a pretty, maybe five isn't so long, but moderate, but, but even 10 years is a long time horizon. Um, but we ended up, you know, having those discussions about, you know, let's, okay, let it, would you feel better about, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to do anything drastic, like go to cash if you're worried, but we were able to reposition so that she felt better. And so that we're buying her portfolio more time if we do have some volatility. Of course, if you do that, you know, you're giving up some return potential. If the markets are good, you're giving up some return potential by placing money in cash, but that was okay with her, that, that she understood that, you know, that given that take with, with having that money in cash. I mean, I think another, another question that we get uh, that's very, very similar to the question that you just went over, but maybe asked in a slightly different way is, you know, somebody that's either getting close to retirement uh, or, or is maybe in retirement and they ask the question, well, you know, if, if we do go through a bear market, I don't have, I don't have as long to recover. You know, I don't, I don't have as, as, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not young anymore, uh, young, whatever relative term, but, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't afford, uh, for my money to go down. You know, I can't afford for that. And, you know, it's kind of the same answer that, well, it depends on you know how long you know what's your time frame and, and how long are you going to you know if, if you are retired but say you're you know you're in your you know mid 60s uh well okay if you, you know if your life expectancy is you know 80 or 85 or whatever you know they, well that's still 20 years i mean so so yes you do have you still you do have time to let it recover um but let's you know but let's hollow out some cash uh you know to buy some time you know if if we do go through a bear market you know if it's a year or two years or whatever whatever the the duration of the bear market may might be uh but if we can protect you for that amount of time then yeah you do have plenty of time uh to let to let you know to let your portfolio recover uh with that being said you know most likely you should probably be sort of like a moderate you know, moderate risk portfolio uh, at that at that point in time, so that it does not go down as much as the market. Um, you know, should should we go th- should we go through a bear market? And th- those are kind of some of the things you should be doing. But, but yes, uh, I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're if you're 80 years old, uh, then then yeah, maybe maybe you don't have time uh, to 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 you know to to ride it out. But that's again, that's a that's a big question mark because you know we don't know how long you're going to live and, and and lots of other factors. Hey, even if you're 80, you could live to be 100. True. You could still have 20-year life expectancy. True. Um, yeah, all right. I, I think this is also a good time for people to reevaluate it. Are they invested appropriately? So I think, so now that we've had Armageddon earlier this year and the markets have recovered from Armageddon by many measures, maybe they're not, exa- you know, rolling 12-month performances, as you said, are pretty good for most portfolios, balanced or aggressive or what have you, even conservative little portfolios are awesome over 12 months with lots of bond exposure, which have been great this year. Um, So I think it's a really good time for people to reevaluate how did they feel earlier this year? And if it was incredibly uncomfortable, maybe you weren't invested appropriately. Maybe it's time to make a change. Um, You know, I think that, like I said, I, 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 it's my goal as an advisor to make sure that my clients are invested in such a way that they don't have to panic no matter what the markets bring. And of course, you know, it's normal for people to worry and all that, but it shouldn't be, I should have people invested so that I'm not getting those calls about those drastic moves. You should be in a portfolio that fluctuates within your comfort level. You know, as advisors, we're assessing tolerance for risk. And that can be hard with someone that we meet that we've only met a few times, like at the beginning of the relationship. But um, this is a good time to gut check how did it go earlier this year? If you were a complete lunatic and weren't sleeping and were crazy worried about your portfolio, maybe this is a good time to evaluate if that's still appropriate for you. Maybe a downshift in risk if you couldn't handle things, you know, earlier this year. Um, you know, if someone is invested aggressively, if they have a largely stock, an all stock or, or a primarily stock portfolio. What I mean by they shouldn't have to worry about the markets is they should have eight, 10, 12 years or more before they need the money. If you're invested aggressively, you should have a long period of time 
to recover from anything the markets bring in the near future. So, you know, if, if your portfolio is down 40%, you should be in a situation where, you know, it's kind of like, that's terrible and awful and I hate it, but um, you shouldn't really need to worry about it because you should have a long enough time horizon. So hopefully 10, 12 years from now, we're certainly past the Corona, what do we call it? The Corona crash. We're already past the Corona, cash, corona crash, but whatever then you know the next market brings um and i also just think again like we've only got a few more minutes here i just i just want to sort of just restate that it's you should always be um coming back to your plan right so with our clients we are we are making a plan with them we you know when they're going to be retiring when they're going to need money from the portfolio um, or if they're younger, what are their savings targets? When do we think they might be able to retire? What what rate of return assumptions did you use in that plan? You know, I, I we try to model clients' futures using um, realistically conservative return assumptions. It, it, you know, on sort of on the low side of long-term averages, I like to do my modeling based on that, just to run the plan kind of conservatively. Um, not so conservative that it's unrealistic and your clients are working forever, but you know, realistically, realistic conservative assumptions. Um, and, and don't forget, like if you're working with an advisor, there, there are tools available to us where we can, you know, put together a plan for a client and we can like stress test it for bad markets. And and advisors have those tools available to you. Oh, uh, the, uh, the downside of working from home is that dogs go kid bark in the background. Um, she doesn't like bear market. She doesn't, she so doesn't like the, she doesn't so like, cute, she doesn't like the word bear market. Lulu. She's yeah. a chihuahua. Yeah. She's so cute. She was sitting next to me while I was while I'm on air here. And then I think the doorbell rang. So mm. she now she's going crazy upstairs. Um, but I just wanted to, so so like for example, me and you and, and other advisors of course have similar tools available where you, you, know, you can make certain rate of return assumptions for someone, but you're also stress testing that and factoring in average markets, but also poor markets. So like we can run what's called a prob, uh, excuse me, a Monte Carlo probability analysis. And, and there's lots of different, you know, pieces of financial software and they all have these sort of probability, similar probability analysis tools. But don't forget, like we're running a plan for someone and we're saying, okay, you know, there's an, you know, 70, 80, 90, whatever it is, chance of your money lasting for your lifetime under these assumptions. And we're factoring in really bad markets. So when a bad market comes, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, let's, let's rerun the plan and, you know, numbers have changed, but don't forget when we put this plan together, we factored in the fact that there will be bad markets in your future. We never know exactly what the markets will bring in the future, but we factored in some terrible times. So really like having, uh, really bringing the conversation back to the investor and your goals and, you know, retirement time horizon, or really what I mean by that is time before you're needing the money. I mean, you could, uh, you could have these same conversations with, with college funds and, and the time upon which you need to draw from college funds, et cetera. Like you should be invested appropriately so you shouldn't have to worry about these swings in the markets um and so i, I would just say you know again the markets are like doing just fine right now we've recovered from the corona crash but if we have volatility in the future i think it's important for you know if you are working with an advisor to really come or maybe you've done your own goal setting and stuff like that and, and planning and modeling i've certainly met people who have done their own spreadsheeting and retirement analysis and that's kind of cool um but just always bring it back to, okay, well, what's my plan? And, and is this really affecting me? Is this one market in this one period of time really affecting the rest of my life? Um, and so I think that that's a really important exercise for people to go through before they just assume that, you know, their financial life is like ending and they need to do something drastic like Yeah, and I think, uh, cash, I, yeah. I think what's, you know, a powerful thing that we can do and, and do uh, do for people is, you know, we can update their plan in the midst of a, of a downturn. And, you know, we can update, you know, you know, yeah, you know, your portfolio values are, are currently down, uh, you know, temporarily, but we can, you know, we can update and plug in, you know, reduced, you know, portfolio values into your plan and then, and then, you know, reproject that out and see how that looks. Yeah. And, and in most cases, it's still, you know, if you, if you had a successful plan going into the market, even, even if we, you know, do a snapshot 
um, during a bad time, uh, in most cases, it's still going to look good uh, because, as you mentioned earlier, we, we've, we've factored in these types of scenarios already. Um, so assuming, assuming you were on, you know, had a successful plan going into a down market, in most cases, it's still going to be successful if... If, 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 big if, you stick with the plan um, because altering, you know, altering something uh, that that changes, you know, the prior scenario that we had already projected uh, because we had already projected in, uh, you know, potential downturns and, 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 and projected basically that you had stuck with the portfolio uh, and didn't do anything that that could potentially, you know, reduce your returns more so than than by just, you know, the, you know, the, the, the normal volatility that we were, you know, anticipating. Yeah. And I, yeah, and absolutely we do that for clients in the middle of um, down markets, but I'll just add to that, that when you, when you do that, when you're in the middle of a down or bear market and your asset values are temporarily down and you're doing this projection going forward, you can still be very conservative with your rate of return assumptions, of course, or, you know, average to conservative on the rate of return assumptions. But don't forget that when you were in a bear market, when the market's down 20, 30, 40%, that sort of the bottom of that market or, or when you're down that significantly, that is actually a time at which your rate of return potential is at its greatest, right? Like your return potential when markets are great, your return potential when markets are great isn't all that, uh, it, it's not as much as when we're in a bear market, when the market has corrected and it's down in value, that is your greatest opportunity to achieve some great returns because the market needs to go, you know, if we're down 35, we needed up 52 to recover. So at the bottom of that market, that is your greatest potential for returns. And of course, when you're modeling and doing retirement planning, you're not like overshooting return assumptions. But the point is, if we're ever going to hit some target returns, it's when we're at the bottom of the market. And that's when people are like, you know, kind of don't believe it, but but, but it is true all throughout history that, you know, we have great returns after we have crappy returns. That's just the way that markets move. We have to wrap it up. That was, um, I'm like getting pumped here. I was starting to sweat. I was like moving so much and being so excited. Um, but that was a great show. We talked about, uh, you know, market, election jitters and markets and what to do and what not to do, timing, presidential elections. That was fun. Um, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I hope you enjoyed the show. We have a podcast. You can search McNamara on Money on your podcast app if you missed any of this. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by Kirk Reed. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend and, and stay in the markets. Take care. Bye-bye.